How good is this? Uh, here we are at um, Mijan on the banks of the river at Kurulagan State Library. And this land was um, looked after by the Yagara people, the Jurubal people. And here we are in this beautiful, beautiful place with my friend Greg and Andrew, Andrew Schultz. And it's really lovely to be able to be invited to be part of this discussion that we have today. So I'd like to acknowledge that we are on land that was cared for, looked after, and nurtured by the people who were here all those years ago. The Turrbal people, the Yagara people. And those descendants of those people who are still in this land just not far from here is Musgrave Park. And many, many, many times I've been there for NAIDOC celebrations and other things and it just uh, shows that we are still connected, we're still here. So, nice to acknowledge that. Yeah, thanks Uncle Alan. Thanks, Alan. And Andrew, Andrew Schultz uh, and uh, Uncle Alan Parsons are our two guests today on Walking Three Worlds. And I'm pleased to have Uncle Alan to our acknowledgement. Um, he was our first guest in episode one, um, audio only, and I thought I need to bring him in in person. So you can all get a look at this handsome young man, <laughs> <laughs> his Uncle Alan. And I, I've been very fortunate to meet him uh, a number of years ago down at West End or Garilpa, Garilpa, Garilpa. Um, and here we are today with um, Uncle Alan and Andrew Schultz, who I'll explain why we've dragged him along today into our podcast. And I thought it'd be an interesting discussion. And I'll, I'll start it by sort of briefly introducing Alan and how Andrew and how I came about Andrew. I picked up this book and it came up online one day and it was like Goon Dean, Understanding Australia. It was a story of three Australians, Everett Compton, Uncle Albert Holt and Henry Palaszczuk, who's the father of our current Premier, Anastasia. Um, the author who collated this is Sophie Church. But the interesting thing, it's three men, and I, it, it attracted my attention because it is three, walking three worlds, his three men giving three different instances of, of their, what is Australia, who are Australians, and what is the meaning of Gundine. So I dug deeper and found the man behind this book, who came together with another gentleman who he can mention. Um, so maybe we can get some background off Andrew, where you're from, who's your mob, and how did this book come about, and how you met these three guys, and the idea behind it, and what you're doing now. How's well, that for a good start? Well, it's a, it's a journey. <laughs> it's part of the journey of understanding country and asking questions and getting no answers. So I'm a Yarrandali man. I was born in Yarrandali country. I've never ever met anyone from Yarrandali country. Where is that? Well, that's between Townsville and Mount Isa, mm -hmm. around Hewenden. And we have the Jump Up, which is a very important landmark. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents were very keen for us to understand this, these um, important, significant districts of Bora 
and and the the protection of them. So when I was a very little fellow, I understood that there were areas which had to be respected. Mm. Um, but if you go back um, three or four generations, it could be that we were very much part of of um, dispossession mm. and um, and looking at the way in which change occurred in Western Queensland. So if you go down to Longreach, you, you won't find very many Aboriginal people or recognition of Aboriginal issues. And then in Charleville, I was living in Charleville um, for quite some time. And then um, 50 years later, I bump into Alan Parsons, who was born in Charleville. And so... Um, Synchronicity. We, <laughs> we, we share some stories um, with people like Michael Connolly and Malcolm Connolly, his elder brother. Who, Malcolm still lives in Charleville and um, we would like to understand how they feel about country. So when we um, went to university, I was the only protagonist who just kept on digging, digging. Do we have an Australian way of looking at architecture? And the answer was no. Do we have people studying First Nation people or sociology? I came across a lecturer called John Garcia, who organised um, Ujuru Nunakal, who was my first um, person to understand that her name, Walker, Kath Walker, was not her real name. She discarded Kath Walker and Ujuru Nunakal. So that was very significant to me. And her son, Dennis, and Lionel Fogarty, and Gary Foley all came and talked to us. And um, and so, talk about opening eyes, yeah. opening eyes and understanding that there was a struggle. So I was about 20 then, 1920, and I understood that there was a struggle. But in terms of understanding what the struggle was about, that was going to come later. Mm -hmm. So the book Goondeen is um, a reaction, Bill Sennett and I worked on this thing called Year of the Outback in 2002. We formulated a strategy to introduce outback issues to the urban population. So we, we recognised there was 8 to 10 million Australians who had no idea of outback issues, who had absolutely zero understanding of First Nation issues or sovereign nation or protection of culture or importance of place. And so we never ever suggest that we speak on behalf of First Peoples. Mm. We speak with direction for non-Indigenous people to get a better understanding of protocols. And that's what that book's about. And so you became an architect. That was your career. Correct. You're still an architect. Still an architect. Yes. Still an architect and totally flipped my way of thinking, like when we went into architecture school, it was all about the form of the building. And now because of my un uh, talking with people like Alan and others, it is place. I understand place and the sensitiv sensitivities of place. And within place, we then look at space. And so if we've got a technology issue, we would look at it and Alan would agree that if you've got a technology that needs protection from wind, from rain, from the other elements, um, maybe you, you look at the way in which that would be housed or supplied electricity. 
but you don't put together the big photographic uh, form and then look at the way in which it can be fitted out, which is the way in which many museums are dealt with. They built the form, they have an international competition, and then they go, well, what do we do now? We'll put something in it. So that, that brings up a really good point, and, and one of the connections between the two of you and why I've got you to hear, <laughs> why I've got you here is talking about uh, a vision that you saw um, that you are sort of mentioned out in Charleville, um, and that was an $8 million investment in a Outback Museum. And I think you struck your interest because you thought, oh, I wonder if they've approached the local people, First Nations people. And do you want to sort of unpack what you've discovered and what you've both been sort of realising? Well, yes, Greg. Um, and it's absolutely what Andrew was saying, is that oftentimes um, architects or people who get involved with these buildings um, uh, it's, it's, it's something that uh, is important to see that we need to put the horse before the cart and the cart before the horse mm -hmm. because oftentimes they have these wonderful ideas about doing this and doing that and then uh, the resource that, that is available is people who maybe have uh, university degrees or they may have architectural degrees or they may have some sort of like document that says they've studied for X amount of years, but they have no connection, no connection to country. They have no connection to the history. That, uh, they may have a little bit of colonial history, but there's no ancestry of First Nations people or, the, as I like to say these days, the original, originally people. Um, and so that is often just glossed over or tokenistically sort of stuck in a corner somewhere uh, to say, oh, aren't we good? We did, we've done this and we've done that and we've ticked that box off so we're really good people. That's totally, it's like it really makes me infuriated to the point where um, that's where Andrew and I, we had a lovely conversation yesterday um, and it was a... Uh, and uh, a point where I looked up all the website stuff about this proposed Outback Museum of Australia. Seriously? Well, where's the Outback begin and end, you know? Seriously, there's, there's a lot of... It's very ambiguous and really, like, seriously, you know... Um, anyway, I've got all these design plans and everything they're still in draft form and put them printed them out and gave them all to andrew yesterday um and and this is connected to a thing called the cosmos center which has been out of charitable for quite a number of years but again it's, it, there's, there's there's almost nothing to celebrate and honor that you know original people uh, knew about astronomy they knew about seasons. They knew about how planetary alignments and, and all these sort of things dictated where they went to, where they moved to, what resource was available, and so on and so on and so on. No. They get these nice telescopes and they look at the moon and they look at this Platon, Saturn, and they look at Pluto and they look at all these other things. Well, where's the connection to country? There's nothing. 
really as a connection mm. to country. Mm. So that's where Andrew and I have had this wonderful conversation about what can we possibly do with regard to this proposed uh, um, building uh, to incorporate a cultural aspect. So my, my country is Bidjara and uh, you look at the map at Tyndale's map, near, near there is Bidjara but it follows the river down and so we feel that Talaval is Bidjara country, is Bidjara country. So I have this connection, not only was I born in Talaval, my grandmother and, and, and my mother lived in Charleville for quite some time. Andrew's spent some time out there and here's this perfect opportunity for us to collate all this together to have a, a voice, to have something to say about what goes on in that place. Yeah, so this museum should represent the, the deeper, longer narrative than just a museum of uh, colonial settler history. You know, you're talking about incorporating the ancient technology that was known by the original people of the land mm. and how they looked after country. Um, way back when <clears throat> I was reading some of the settlers' stories about coming to Australia, um, and they, they tended to stick to the coastline because they found going to this harsh environment, they didn't think anyone would live out there. Mm. And, you know, here there were thriving... Uh, tribes and mobs probably out there navigating it for you know hundred thousand years or more mm. you know quite comfortably through all the droughts and the rain and you know following the the water lines the waterways um, how do you think and what what do you what's just playing around with this but what do you think would be a good idea for this museum to end up looking like for people you know when mm. people come from overseas they turn up at Charleville what would be something that would be really inspiring? What's inspiring is if you go to Desert Park at Alice Springs, mm -hmm. okay, you fly in and you see the McDonald Rangers, West McDonald Rangers, and you drive in and you go through the gap into the township, mm -hmm. and then you go out to the exhibition centre, and then you go into the theatre, and at the end of the show, the curtains open, just like we're looking out over here and they open up and there's the mcdonald rangers and everyone goes wow isn't that great like there's the mcdonald rangers in a european frame so the designers of desert park sought the advice of european architects to put together this thing a theater that opens the curtains and there's the mcdonald rangers you, they're assuming that you don't see the McDonald Rangers when you fly in. They're assuming you don't see them as you pass through them. They're assuming that the eye can't understand the landscape. Okay, so mm -hmm. what we would look at in terms of the country, sell some, a, a facility representing country, would, we, would be always was, always will be. And so we would like to go forward 100 years and say, this is Bidjara in 100 years from now. This is country over the last 100,000 years. And that the people who fly in from New York or fr 
Frankfurt or UK come and actually start to understand this continent, how it, how it relates to people, how the stars relate to people, how the song lines relate to people, the culture, we call it the long history and the rich culture. And the identity of the nation is revealed within the exhibit, the identity of the nation. So rooms without walls, the sounds of the silence, the nighttime sounds, the sounds of the wind, the utilisation of fire, the storytelling and the humour. I think you must always include humour and the and the. That's beautiful. And I, as you're telling me that, and I'm I'm seeing artificial intelligence, 3D. You know, I'm seeing the projection uh, type use of technology to highlight and taking people people back into time travel, not unlike the work of the virtual song lines. I'd like to share a story that was some. Um in total harmony with what you're saying, Andrew. Um, this was told to me by a fella named um, Uncle Tex Chapman. He's a waka waka fella. And, and Tex lived in Kabulcha for quite a while. That's where I have a house. Um, and it turned out that his wife knew all my relatives who were taken to Sherbrooke. So we got the connection. But um, Tex told me this story. Uh, which I remember clearly, and I think it's absolutely relevant. And he, he was a person who spent a lot of time out in the bush, um, and he, he told me the story. He was with these other blokes, about three of them, and they were had horses, and they'd gone out, and they were, I don't know what they were doing exactly. I would have suggested they're trying to find clean-skin cows or something. Anyway. So they're out there on this space place and this huge lightning thunderstorm comes through, crashing and bashing and, and the horses all get spooked and they takes off. Whoa! And these men wake up and they put the saddles on the ground. But the horses are gone. They're gone. And so it's like, mm. Anyway, after the shock of these horses running away, it's kind of like, right, okay, let's just mm, get the fire going, it's all right, it's all right. So they slept on it. And the other people with, with Tex were um, Europeans. Bushcraft, yes, but they had a, the mentality was geared towards this, this European way of thinking. Anyway, they're getting all anxious and, oh, we get, well, how are we going to get, oh, all this anxiety. And Tex said, just hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. So in the stillness of that land, right on dusk, no campfire going, no ex external noises, listening. I think the word is jajari which is called deep listening. Yep, sorry. We've got some visitors in the background, but that's all right. Add to the excitement. <laughs> and so Tex said, listen, really, really listen. So in that stillness, way off in the distance, they could hear the frogs. 
very soft. Very soft. Just your eye. So orientation, that way. So just about you know how long before dawn, got the saddles and they started walking in that direction. And they started walking, and I, I, I can't, I don't know how many, how far they walked, but they got to a certain point, and then they got too hot, so they stopped and waited again till the evening time and had another listen. Yes, that's the direction. Took them four days. And they got there's a wood hole near the horses. Hmm. <laughs> well, we call that um, knowledge of country. Well, that's exactly the point. And so that's what you, we were talking about is with hmm. regard to setting up a showcasing or a, a facility that would really incorporate something like that yeah. to show that deep connection to country, to the land, to the animals, to everything that is part to and To the packaged. sounds, to the, yeah, everything. Exactly, all the Rick, yeah. exactly. All the senses. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so using all the senses, um, but more than that, you are connecting to country. Yeah. More than anything, you are connecting to country. And so by doing that, those men found the water, found the horses, yeah. and were here to tell the story. Yeah. So in terms of your background and, and the um, involvement of elders, the Bidjara elders would be involved with the museum, with the, with the facility on a daily basis? Well, it's, 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 I mean, and you and I, Andrew, have had a very brief discussion around this, that point, that part. Is, is that interfering? Uh, no, no, you, you, your voices are much louder. Good. It's just background noise. Okay. <coughs> if you can edit that out, so, yeah, we can noise reduction. Good, good, good. Yeah. So your question, Andrew, your question is that, well, let's, you know, it's absolutely something that could be uh, investigated further. And so you and I have talked about writing letters to the people, the mayor and the council of Charlieville, uh, and I showed you yesterday the draft letter that I had mm. drawn up. Very nice. And um, I'm working on that one. <laughs> so just on that point, for our listeners who listen to this, we'll put up a copy of that letter and people can choose to take a variation of that and probably that would support be wonderful, you. Greg. And then they come and support you by sending a letter of support to the mayor. That would be great. Now, is this a local initiative or is it federally funded? It's the museum? Federal. federal. The, the federal allocation of funds state. comes from federal. Is it state yeah. as well? I think state is involved. Right. Little Proud was there involved. Yeah, but he's a federal man. Okay. So we'll, we'll have that all on our website and we'll, we'll get people that can help and hear these sort of concerns can jump in and because the more letters they get about this concern, the more they will address hmm. having consultation with... Um, the original people of that land. Well, yes, Greg, and I think that the the momentum is building to have more inclusion yes. with regard to what um, uh, the people who, who ancestors uh, and those of us who are living today. We need to have a voice. Yes. We need to have a voice. And I've got this shirt on today. This is um, statement of the heart shirt, and it says voice, treaty, and truth. Right. And so uh, the voice 
is, is what we're doing. A treaty is something that we're working on. But truth-telling uh, is so important and so necessary. And, and it really does highlight, um, you know, you gave a, a discussion with Ray Kirkall, and, and Ray, Ray was able to talk about the truth of the resistance of, of those that came into this land. Yes. You know, and that truth is so important to be told. Yes. And not glossed over or dramatised or... Sensationalised. Uh, Sensationalised yeah. and all that. But so it's kind of really important that when we talk about a construction of an eight-point-something million-dollar edifice in, in the place of Charlieville, that to be included in that has to be, must be, a cultural recognition of that connection to that land by the Bidjara people. Mm. Um, and, and so that's mm. where you and I, Andrew, had this discussion previously about what can we do, what is possible. And so the wheels are in motion. And I really appreciate you, Greg, inviting us to come along today to have this um, yarn up. And, and absolutely, if we put it out there, mm. and as you suggest, other people go, yes, mm. yes. I, I see that museum project, something that can celebrate, you know, our First Nations and their culture. And it could also celebrate those first migrants that would have worked out in that area, you know, whether it was the, the farmers or whether it was the, the people doing what they were doing, regardless of judgment on what they were doing rightly or wrongly. And then the new migrants, those that are living there today, mm. to celebrate that. But anyway, maybe we could have some influence. But I wanted to touch on this as well. Goon Dean, the book, and Andrew runs a Facebook page called Understanding Australia, which is mm. worth checking in on and, and liking and following that page because Andrew puts up a lot of interesting uh, <laughs> tidbits from all around the country. He certainly does. Yeah, activities to get you thought-provoking. A lot around uh, the waterways, particularly the Murray, Darling. Yeah. Um, you have a passion around that. But let's not sidetrack with that. But the book itself, how did it come about? And why did you pick these three gentlemen, right. three older Australians? Yep. And also, when is the next book coming out with the three women? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so the, the starting point of a solution was recognition that the three men were forcibly removed from their homes as young people. So, so Henry Palaszczuk? Henry Palaszczuk was forced out of Poland. So we heard Ray and his family's um, moving on yes. forcibly. Mm -hmm. Errol um, at Linville up in the Brisbane Valley. The uh, state government closed the um, economic life of the township and they were forcibly removed out of that district. Yep. And Uncle Albert, um, he was a freewheeling kid up near Springshaw on the, on the Dawson River and they were packed up and moved to Baramba. Now, Baramba um, is now known as Sherburg. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Yes, and so um, within Sherburg and Baramba, there were 47 different groups, language groups, mm. okay? So Agundin was the person who rose up to give people hope. So that you had all this, uh, let's say, um, likely um, 
forced violations mm -hmm. where the where the superintendent would pit people against each other and they and they would uh, create conflict mm -hmm. well the goon dean was the person who found the right words to to give hope and to give comfort sounds like a wise fellow a very wise uh, man in that yes. every society needs one but not every society every language group would recognize the person or their background yes and so they had to find those right words hmm. to to um, give people let's say the reason to live or the reason to go on or the future of their children so what what uh, language do you know what mob it, it came from what clan well there's it's it doesn't belong to a clan it was invented through the murray group mm -hmm. in sherbourg okay so so um it it has a meaning from the 1860s yep it, it didn't necessarily exist before that within any one of the clans because there was no need. Mm. So if you if you are locked up in a German prisoner of war camp and there's all different people from different um, backgrounds mm -hmm. and someone rises up in order to um, allow people to want to see the next sunrise, that person has a special place mm. in in that uh, forced <coughs> camp or labour camp. Now, what we don't understand is how any human could do these things to another human. Mm -hmm. So, what we're attempting to do within Goondeen is is firstly to give recognition and and um, understanding. Uh, Dadiri was a word that um, Alan just used before. Deep listening. So in terms of care, share, respect, if you are able to listen, you are then respecting. You, you understand what the other person is thinking. Mm. So in the Queensland Parliament, there was absolutely zero consultation with the people who the laws um, segregated, our segregation laws, our um, divisions, our... Um, rape and pillage yep. of the peoples um, are all within that book. Mm -hmm. And and very few people know that the German government in the mid-1930s sent a delegation here to Queensland to study the Queensland segregation laws. And it's all included in the files called the Azimuth files, where they went and took that uh, local law, local government law, and then imposed it on the um, uh, minority groups of Europe. And I heard that also from Queensland was part of the South African um, influence of apartheid had come from its learning of what had occurred in Queensland. Is that, did well, you hear any the, of that? There's two separate, mm. like about four generations yeah. apart. Yes. So, so um, the um, South African apartheid system came long after the Second World War in in South Africa mm -hmm. after the Boer War. Yep. And um, the, but the Queensland mm. system of segregation and and um, uh, let's say lack of human rights. Yes. Was activated long before 1830, 1850, 1860, 1870, and and what I find very hard to articulate is that 
election after election after election, the people went and kept on voting for those policies. Mm. And, and it wasn't until 1967 when the referendum came in, the um, leaders of Aboriginal groups were then finding the strength to come forward and saying, this is my country, this is my language, this is what I want to give hope to my children. Mm. And that's only two generations. That's right. Only two generations of rising up and, and, and putting forward that point of view. So I believe anyone interested in the topic, as a non-Indigenous person, we can just simply say, wow, this is fantastic stuff. Like mm. hundreds of thousands of years of culture, all these different languages, language groups. Yep. Um, you know, like I've, I've heard um, um, Max Stewart talk in his language in Alice Springs and what a beautiful language. And then he is put before the courts falsely charged in regard to murder and he couldn't put two English words together. And he was, he, was, he was crippled as a person because they, they, they um, suggested that he wasn't fluent or he wasn't capable. Educated or yeah. civilised. And, so, and or... so he sat in jail for 10, 15 years and then they released him without charge, no charge. Oh, and, and they're the sorts of um, inequalities that uh, people have been facing. So, so this book brings out a number mm. of those issues and how we deal with them. Well, you, you addressed a lot of topics and I heard you say earlier before we started that you asked something like 90 something questions and well, you had to we narrow had 90 it down. Bill and I had up to 90 topics and when Sophie Church got to 25 topics, we said, let's print, let's go. So, I, so it was I, published. I, I think it's worth a read to a lot of people who, you know, this is all about truth telling and sharing. And, and look, it's just another piece of a jigsaw puzzle to get this book into your psyche um, and, and understand these Goondeen's versions of their, you know, their own journey their and role. their life and, and how you've sort of put it together as a jigsaw puzzle. You know, and a lot of these things like Australia is whose. Well, that's right. <laughs> you know, Australia is a defender of freedom. Australia is, is an immigration nation. Australia is a closed yeah. mind. So these are the topics, you know, Australia. Yeah. So if you, t if you take that, the, that phrase, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So the first peoples are the custodians of the land and everyone else, including the convicts, yes. are citizens of the globe. Absolutely. Okay, so we're all here and we seek acknowledgement of the elders and their, their thoughts in regard to how they can either embrace us yep. or, or tell us to move on. And, and we then acknowledge those elders. Now, if you start from that position and you listen to what is being said, mm. um, it's, it's all about healing and it's all about your own wellness. Yes. That's very, very good. Very, very good. So I do recommend people um, get a copy of this. You'll find this online um, or at all the Amazons good, good and so on. Good bookshops. Good bookshops. Um, hey. Now, when is the female version of this coming out? Well, we're, um, there's no dates. No. There's no uh, writer. 
Yes. We're um, going through a process of um, consolidation. Yes. And and to understand how the um, if you if you really look at those programs in Canberra about um, bad behaviour in the parliament, mm-hmm. you you will understand our hesitancy. Yes. To to move on without um, let's say embracing how women uh, and their role in in Australian society um, will will emerge. Yes. And and so we're we're just sort of um, redefining many many of the let's say. Um, powerful positions that women will take, can take, have taken, and and then um, develop those ninety odd topics. Fabulous. Uh, on that topic, it's it's, it's perfectly you, you put that really well with regard to where the political framework sits at this point of our journey. Mm. On a cultural level, uh, when the um, the English came, one of the very first things that they did was they took the weapons off the men, they uh, disarmed the men so they were not in a position to defend family or defend um, those that was given their responsibility to. Um, and, and Ray Kirkhove, he talked a lot about a resistance to that, you know, where people knew the country very well um, and they went, they used that knowledge of country to defend the country, but also to look after culture, to look after um, uh, the established uh, situation, which was this is this is country that was given to us, or we have custodianship over, and so you try to intrude into that. Well, we're going to defend that, and so that's what mm. happened. However, when you take the weapons off the men when you chain them like dogs and put them on concentration camps, also known as missions, um, you're devaluing those people to the point where they don't have identity, they don't have a sense of worth, they don't have, and so this precipitated a whole uh, downwards uh, spiral into hopelessness and people who, who, Mm. who just felt they had no opportunity to uh, have a voice even Uh, and so to the credit the women stepped into the circle Mm. right and the women kept as I say the fire burning you know and so credit must be given and I do Mm. honestly sincerely deeply honor the women who took on that position of um, defending language, defending stories, mm. defending nurturing children and so on and so on and so on. Um, however, I feel very strongly we're in this shift of where the men can begin to take back that role that was taken from them. Mm. And one of the catalysts, if I can share this briefly, and, and people might like to look it up, is a returning of the star of Tarim stone. And Tarim, by the way, is not far from Carnarvon Gorge, which is where my grandfather's people were. And Tarim is a town where my mother and my grandmother were both born. So, uh, and so I was there for the returning of this star of Tarim. Which segues us into fantastic. another episode coming up where we're going to talk to you and some other guests about 
that whole journey of the Star of Tarun. It's and the, really important, Greg, because yeah. oftentimes you get these triggers or these uh, occurrences or this energy that rises up yeah. that then creates a dynamic of this is the pathway that we need to go on. And so meeting Andrew and talking about uh, wanting to see if we can do something with Charleville with this uh, museum set up and everything, we've got things in place and so we're working on that. Uh, I only met yesterday for the very first time. So um, yes, it's exciting that we're living in this period of re-emerging of a voice re-emerging of a dynamic of truth-telling mm -hmm. um, and, and with that yeah, there's that thing like a treaty but I think it's more than just a treaty it's about a knowledge sharing space and that means that we all become involved with that yeah here 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 look I, I think we might um, Thank you both for coming on the show and having your wisdom shared with our listeners. Thank you to my two brothers here and yeah. have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you. Um.